Hi, I'm Sangeet Chofla, President and CEO of the Graduate Management Admission Council. When I'm not checking things off my bucket list, I'm listening to the business school question. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the latest episode of the Business School Question. I'm your host, Marco Dinovelis, and on today's episode, we're speaking to Graham Richmond, a Wharton MBA turned admissions consultant and founder of MBA news and advice site Clear Admit about his business school journey and how to get accepted into Wharton. Graham, it's great to have you on the pod. Oh, thanks so much, Marco. It's a pleasure to be here. Great stuff, Graves. So we're going to talk a little bit about your MBA journey, choosing a school, doing the GMAT, your experience at Wharton, and about your own podcast, the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast as well. But let's start uh, right at the beginning, back in 1999, pre-millennium, pre-financial crisis. (laughs) um, You were actually an arts major a few years previously. You did a stint at uh, MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. It's quite an untraditional MBA background. Why did you decide to pursue an MBA? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, as you pointed out, I had studied liberal arts as an undergraduate um, with a focus on art history and then worked at MoMA in New York. So Uh, Not exactly the typical path that you would see, but in all of my work experiences coming out of university, I'd kind of gravitated towards um, roles in management, you know, kind of leading teams, organizing things. And I realized along the way that, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of of work. And then I looked at my undergraduate transcript and realized that I had no (laughs) formal coursework in marketing or management or any of the key skills that you might need to kind of be successful in the workplace. And so I thought, that an MBA could kind of provide the right sort of complement. Um, and, you know, I also thought of the degree as being highly versatile. So as someone who hadn't like mapped out my entire, you know, career at that point, I just thought, you know, gosh, if there's a single degree that I'm going to add to my liberal arts degree, it, it, an MBA makes a lot of sense. It's just so versatile, allows you to do a lot of things. And I will say that I, I did have kind of an inkling in the back of my mind that one day I'd want to run my own business. Um, and actually, you know, so I, I thought, gosh, you know, an MBA would be great for that too. And yeah, so there were a number of reasons, but yeah, versatility, the kind of complementing liberal arts background and yeah, just my love of management. Great. And why Wharton? Um, there are other schools out there. You, you mentioned you were in New York at the time. Um, how did you choose Wharton? Yeah, there were a few different factors that went into Wharton. So I I did apply to, you know, it wasn't like I only applied to Wharton. Um, I applied to HBS, Columbia, Wharton, a few others as well. Um, And I actually was fortunate enough to get in everywhere. Um, I won't uh, act as though that happened right away. I actually applied twice to business school. So the first time I struck out and learned a lot about the application process in in doing so. But the second time around, I made it in at HBS and Wharton and and Columbia and some others. And I just, at the end, it came down to um, Harvard or, or Wharton. And I was obviously, as someone who'd had kind of a liberal arts background, I was really looking for um, quantitative rigor in my MBA. I wanted my butt to get kicked um, in some of these classes because I just knew I didn't have any background in accounting, in finance, um, operations, et cetera. So that was part of it, was kind of just balancing out my liberal arts degree. 
obviously, you know, the the caliber and rigor of Wharton. I liked the mix of teaching methods. Um, so as you probably know, Wharton uses the case method, but also lecture, uh, team projects. There's kind of just a mix of different ways that they um, provide instruction. And I was drawn to that. And then finally, I'm, I, you know, I'd be um, dishonest if I didn't mention that, you know, I was kind of from the Philadelphia area. And so, you know, for me, Wharton had this, it was kind of up on a pedestal. It's the school, you know, in Philadelphia, it's a really well-known business school. Obviously, it's known the world over. But I, I like the idea of, of, you know, staying local and, and getting the MBA there. And so th- those are the main factors that led to me joining the class at Wharton. Okay, so reputation was was quite important. Um, was ranking, you know, did you look at the rankings? And it sounded like you selected some of the best, best of the best schools. Yeah, I guess I when I started my MBA journey, I did look at some of the rankings. At that time, Wharton was kind of ranked number one by by Business Week, I think it was, and like year after year, they were on kind of this roll. Um, and so, yeah, I just. Uh, you know, was I, I was confined. Actually, my my now wife, then girlfriend, was looking at grad schools as well, and we kind of you know confined our search to sort of the northeast corridor of the United States. Um, so, so some of that was in play as well. You know, looking at places like Boston or New York or Philadelphia. Um, so that that was a factor too. So, did you go to Wharton with your wife as well? No, actually, she did a public public policy degree over at Princeton. So different, totally different <laughs> uh, domain. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so the, but we had to factor that in. And I recognize that a lot of people who talk about, you know, where they're going to go to school. And, you know, we see lots of discussions online about I got into these schools, and where should I go, etc. Um, that, you know, it's rare that people actually talk about the personal side, you know, and there is that personal side, like where you may want to live or, or where your spouse is going to be, etc. So there are all kinds of factors that come into play. Yeah, and another big factor is cost. Um, at one point, I don't know if it's still the case, Wharton was one of the most expensive MBA programs out there, the most. Um, how did you go about funding your MBA? How big a concern <laughs> was, was that aspect of it? Um, yeah, so even though I wasn't a business major, I did understand the concept of return on investment. Um, I had a lot of great people around me in the workplace kind of giving me that lesson. And, you know, my view was, I mean, it was, you know, it was expensive. I mean, all these MBA programs, whether Wharton was the most expensive or not, I, I can't recall. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, we're talking about thousands of dollars when we're comparing programs. So it's not, you know, tens of thousands difference. Um, and so, Either way, it's it's really expensive and it's a major investment. You're losing two years in the case of a two-year MBA program out of the workforce. Um, yeah, you're spending a lot of money. I will say the cost of living in Philadelphia was far lower um, than some of the other cities like Boston or, or New York. But again, I didn't um, – I took loans um, and had some help from family to pay and, and I just sort of accepted the fact that I was going to have to pay off these loans after school and – um, but that the the ultimate long run payout would be worthwhile, and that's been true. I think a lot of people it does it does surprise me sometimes to see people kind of nickeling and diming like on certain aspects of the process. When you know the reality is is that if you keep your head down, do well in business school, go get a job, within a matter of years you're going to be paying off your debt and and well ahead of where you were to begin with. So that that's how I looked at it. So in terms of you know, people applying for MBA degrees, they, they get a lot of news about how big the salaries will be afterwards. In terms of just pure salaries, that, that return does come eventually. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I do, I do chuckle. I know, um, I think we might talk a little bit in this conversation about like, how do you get ready to take the GMAT or something? And I always chuckle when people are kind of like, oh, I would take a class to help me prepare, but it's an extra $800 and I don't, I don't really want to do it. I'm kind of like, wait, you're about to drop like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars on an MBA, um, and be out of work. And, and you're worried about the $800. Like I, I just doesn't add up for me in that, in that regard. But Absolutely. Well, we'll come onto the GMAT very briefly, but I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned, Graham. Um, so the first time you applied to business school, things didn't quite go to plan. And then the second time, um, everything did go to plan. What, <laughs> what went wrong? What did you learn from your first application experience? And how did you address that in the second time around? That's a great question. I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was, as you mentioned, kind of non-traditional, right? I'd studied art history, went to a liberal arts college, worked at a modern art museum. I was not surrounded at, at you know, my early career, at least, by people who kind of knew a lot about business school. Um, but I then, in in kind of, um, I pivoted my career, basically. I ended up working at a startup that was making software. It was kind of like an ed tech uh, company, making software for admissions offices at law schools, business schools, and I got some exposure to the process um, of how admissions works, and I had you know some colleagues who knew a bit more about it. Um, but yet, I still, when I kind of set out to apply, I I had kind of um, I think there were three main problems with my application. The first was that I didn't have much evidence in my undergraduate studies of kind of quantitative ability, right? So admissions officers like to look and see, like, will this candidate survive? the academic rigor of the first semester in business school, which is often known for being quite quantitative. And I just didn't have um, a lot on my transcript for them to kind of see. Um, the second thing that wasn't really in place was I'd taken the GMAT, uh, took it once, and I think I scored like a 660. Um, now, we're going back a few years. And so at that time, like the average GMAT score at a place like Wharton or even the you know any of the top schools was kind of 680, 700, somewhere in there. Um, but still, I was below you know what was needed um, to be competitive. And you couple that with an undergraduate transcript devoid of a lot of quantitative work, and it sends up a little bit of a red flag, I think, to the admissions folks. So that those were two big mistakes in terms of just showing my kind of academic readiness. And then the third kind of kiss of death was that I didn't really have a good sense of what I wanted to do with the degree. I sort of knew, oh, this will be really useful, et cetera. But I didn't have a good kind of career plan that I could outline in my essays and speak to in my admissions interviews. And so I think they looked at me and said, okay, um, this guy seems bright, but his test scores are low. We have limited evidence from his transcripts. And he doesn't seem like he really knows what he wants to do. Is he, you know, is he, has he bitten off more than he can chew? And is he just going to be lost when he gets to business school in terms of all the options that are out there? So, so all those things were, were kind of a train wreck. Um, and I was really lucky in that one of the admissions officers contacted me after, you know, I'd received rejections across the board and I got a phone call from a guy named Bob Alec, who was then director of admissions at Wharton. And he said, come on down to the office and I want to talk to you about your candidacy. And this was during the time when Wharton and a lot of other top schools actually gave feedback. So if you didn't get in, you could have one of these sessions that he invited me to have. Um, and he explained to me these very things that I just went over, like what was wrong you know, with my file. Um, and so I then I just put myself on a year long kind of track to retake the GMAT. 
Um, I took a couple of classes uh, in, I think, stats and accounting at a local university to kind of build what we would call an alternative transcript. And and then I, you know, thought really long and hard about my career goals and had a plan so that when I reapplied, everything was kind of in order. So that that was sort of how it how it all came to be. So that evidence of quantitative ability is really important. Do you think that's still the case today, you know, um, a few years on when schools are increasingly trying to diversify what their classes look like, um, reach into different industries, different professional backgrounds? Do you think that core proof of quantitative ability is still key? I think it's still pretty important. Um, you know, the core curriculum in MBA programs hasn't changed so much, although I have I have appreciated seeing that a lot of schools have tried to spread out some of the quantitative work so that it's not all crammed in. I mean, literally first semester at Wharton when I was there, you were taking finance, accounting, statistics, operations, and maybe a marketing class that was heavily quantitative. So everything was kind of um, front loaded. And, you know, I think that they've actually sought, particularly for the, quote, poets, they've allowed more flexibility in many MBA programs where you can spread some of that coursework out over the course of the first year. Um, but I do think it's still important. I think that you're right. I mean, I, I see business schools doing great things with respect to diversity. The the class at, you know, places like Wharton or Harvard is um, just so much more diverse than even when I was there. I mean, we're talking schools approaching the kind of gender parity mark. I mean, there are all these great things happening um, but I still think they, you know, at the end of the day, um, they are looking for evidence that you can survive the curriculum, which is quite rigorous in the first year. And the GMATs is good proof of quantitative ability, uh, as well as the verbal side. Um, what What is a good GMAT score? How What score should you aim for when you're applying for a school? You mentioned yours was initially a little below average. Is the average GMAT a good idea to, to aim for? What's a good score? Yeah, I think you need to, as you do your research and identify schools that you're interested in, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at, yeah, what's the GMAT average at the schools you're considering and what's the range? Um, and then to take a long, hard look at your own candidacy and know, okay, um, am I, you know, am I someone who's going to get lots of points in other domains, you know, that helps me to kind of stand out in the admissions process? So for example, if you are a, you know, a strategy consultant, uh, you know, Joe white guy living in New York city and you're applying to Harvard business school, you know, you're probably, you don't really stand out, right? So you're, you're, you're going to be competing. There are a lot of people who look just like you applying for the spots that are very limited, um, in the class. And so thinking that you can kind of waltz in with a below average score may be a little bit, um, naive. So I think it, it all, so I think starting with the averages at, at the schools that you're targeting is a great place to start. But, you know, if you're a female entrepreneur who just started and sold your, you know, first company and you live in Poland, you may not need a 750 to get into Stanford, right? Whereas if you're that Joe White guy in New York who works at McKinsey or, you know, just a kind of a feeder, um, you know, a feeder uh, company that's sending lots of people off to business school, then, you know, you might need to actually be above average, right? So I think some, it matters, you know, really where you're applying and, and what, yeah, who you are, really. Yeah, de definitely don't be put off if you're a non-traditional kind of student, because that, that is increasingly what schools want. Um, exactly. let's, let's talk specifically about Wharton now. Um, based on your experience, but also um, your experience uh, working in admissions consulting, what does Wharton specifically want its MBA uh, 
students to look like? What's your advice on standing out to the admissions committee at Wharton, doing well in your interview? Yeah, there are a number of um, things that they look for. And it's not, you know, I, I know that every school is different. But the the real the reality is that the amongst the top schools there's a lot of similarity in terms of what they're trying to um, get out of their candidates and I think the one piece of advice that I would give listeners is know your audience right so know who it is that's reading your file I think there's like often a misconception out there that you know, we're applying to business school. And so therefore business people are reading your file. <laughs> um, and it, that's, you know, the, the average admissions officer is really kind of not at all a business person. Um, and so understanding your audience is really key. And also understanding the, the sort of factors that influence that reader. Um, so for example, you know, an admissions officer, they don't operate in a vacuum, right? They have other people on campus that they kind of have to face in the cafeteria from time to time. Like, um, for example, if they admit someone whose academic chops are not, you know, up to up to speed, someone who kind of does really poorly academically, ultimately in the program, um, you know, they're going to hear it from the academic services office, the registrar and so on, the people who are kind of making sure that students do well, et cetera. Um, similarly, if someone's admitted to an MBA program who has no idea what their career plan is and is kind of lost and really hard to kind of work with when it comes to career services, the admissions team might hear about that from the career services office. Um, and then finally, even the student body had placed their own demands on the admissions team in that they're looking for a diverse group of students to come in so that their students to run the various clubs and, and do things on campus and make, you know, the MBA experience as vibrant as possible. So I think you need to tick those boxes. And so I would argue that, you know, the best candidates come in with an academic profile that is suggestive of um, success in the MBA program, um, with a kind of career plan that makes it seem as though um, they will be readily employable uh, post MBA. They don't have kind of like uh, unrealistic or um, totally fuzzy sort of plans. Um, and then also someone who's going to take part in the MBA community. And so I know you asked me about Wharton specifically, but I, I would argue that most schools are looking for that. They want kids who are going to excel in the classroom go get jobs after business school and take part in the kind of MBA community while they're on, while they're on campus. And talking about that experience, that community, what is it about the Wharton MBA experience that sticks with you the most? What's your best memory from your MBA? It's, it has to be the people. Um, Wharton's a pretty big place. I mean, there were 700 and you know, some students in my class and it was just amazing to be a part of a student body that was so international and so talented. And so I would say, yeah, when I think of my time at Wharton, the first thing I think of are all the friends that I made and who many of whom, you know, I'm still in contact with. And, um, it's terrific. I mean, they're scattered across the globe too. So no matter where I go, there's sort of somebody around who I could catch up with, um, that's a Wharton alum. And, and so that, that's the first thing that stands out to me. I think that Another thing that really has stuck with me is the school's emphasis on, um, they use these learning teams. So you travel through the first year at Wharton in a small group of, in my case, it was six students. Um, we took all of our, you know, first year kind of core classes together and all the, you know, all the team projects. We kind of lived and died by the effort of our team, right? It wasn't, there was no individualism in there. Um, I thought that was great. And it was also just a useful 
kind of experience in terms of real life when you get out into the workforce and you're you know constantly collaborating with others. So the learning team experience definitely stands out to me. And then the last thing I would say about Wharton that really struck me was just the breadth and the depth of kind of course offerings. Um, so I was able, I knew I wanted to do uh, entrepreneurship and kind of maybe run my own business. And I was able to take um, some really niche, like I took a course on entrepreneurial uh, marketing. Um, and I took a course on like running a small business. And I mean, just all kinds of um, really useful uh, elective courses that have served me very well, you know, in, in the real world post MBA. That's interesting. You spoke so much about the people and it's something that, that a lot of graduates say. How, how does it differ from college, maybe an undergrad degree experience in terms of the community? Yeah, there are several um, differences. I mean, particularly for me, because I'd come from kind of a non-business, you know, I went to Swarthmore College. It's a kind of very small liberal arts college. Uh, my entire class at Swarthmore was, you know, 300 people. Um, and you know, went from like 300 to uh, seven, seven to 800 people at Wharton. So I had a very small experience um, as an undergrad. But the main thing that that is really fun is that you're going to school, but you're all adults at this point. And so everyone's been out in the real world. Everyone's worked um, and, and had those experiences. And so unlike college, where it's sort of like a direct extension of high school, you're just kind of, you know, moving away from home and it's kind of like, you know, sleepover camp or something. Business school is business school is a lot more, um, you know, it's, it's a, for adults, you know, people are and, and it's actually interesting because it gives you this chance to kind of go back to college in that, you know, you're having fun, you're being very social, but you actually value the education in a way that I don't think most undergraduates do um, because you've been out in the real world and you can like readily see the application of all the things that you're learning in business school, particularly in my case, you know, where I really enjoyed studying art history. Um, but you know, when you study operations or marketing, there's a real difference in terms of like being able to see, Oh, okay, this is how that would work in my job. You know, whereas art history is a little, <laughs> a little more, um, far flung. Right. So, so, th so those are some of the big differences. But yeah. I would say, you know, everyone's adults and you're treated like adults and, you know, you can, um, share all these great experiences you've had out in the real world with your classmates. And that adds tremendous value in the classroom. Now it's very difficult to get, um, alumni to speak negatively about their schools. Everyone is very <laughs> positive about their experiences and, and for good reason, you know, the great schools out there. But if I can press you, what's do you think could have been improved? When might have another school been better for a candidate than Wharton based on your experience? Well, what are its shortcomings? Yeah. So, um, I try, you know, obviously running clear admit and doing all the kind of new stuff that we do on that site. I try to be, um, objective. And, and so I'll give you a couple of things with respect to Wharton. Number one, when I was at Wharton, the facilities were not good. Um, I actually was, I don't know if you'd call it lucky or unlucky to, to be at Wharton while they were building the new building. And so we, we got to kind of look at it um, from afar longingly and know that we would never take a single class in that building. Um, but so I, I would say one thing, and, and I think they've addressed this, is facilities um, that we were in kind of old buildings and wasn't, there wasn't the same like sort of coherence. Now they have one large building that the MBA is kind of MBA classes concentrated in, and I suspect that makes for a better environment. Um, but that's, you know, that's been addressed. So let's think about some other things, because I know you want real <laughs> um, biting criticism. Um, I would say, 
it's a big place, you know, and so per, especially for me, I'd come from kind of a small college. And so Wharton's big, you know, they'll, I mean, and that, that means they have breadth and depth of course offerings and things, but it also means they're not, it's not the um, intimate setting that you might find at a talk or another small school, right? So, and that's not for everyone. And and so I personally, having done the kind of small, close-knit thing as an undergraduate, I was fine with going, you know, going big for grad school. Um, but I recognize that may not be, you know, for everyone. Um, so, so that's, that's a second thing. And then I guess the third thing, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but Wharton sort of prides itself on treating the students like they're adults. Um, and what I mean by that is, you can waive courses um, by showing, you know, that you have, you can take an exam and show that you have accounting knowledge or, you know, whatever it might be. And you can waive lots of classes and, and really customize the curriculum. And there are other schools out there um, where that doesn't really happen. Everyone's kind of um, taking the same classes at the same time. Um, you know, HBS is a good example of that. Everyone's reading the same cases. And if you don't read the case and you come to class unprepared, it just like a major, you know, you cannot do that. Like it just, you might learn that in the first week or two that you're never going to get away with that. Um, and so at a place like Wharton where candidates are free to, you know, they can come to class or they can choose not to, or they can choose to, um, go to a job interview during a class time if that's what they want to do. Like, so you're, you're kind of an adult and it's up to you. And I would say that, um, maybe that means there's a, you know, slightly less, um, kind of, I don't know what the word is, but there, there can be slightly less um, kind of in-class community, um, because especially around recruiting season. So I, I think that that's one thing that did stand out to me. And I, I've heard since, you know, that, that yeah, people talk about that. And so I think Wharton's philosophy is, look, we're giving you everything you need. Um, use it as you see fit, as opposed to, you know, we're going to run this place like military precision and everyone's taking the same thing at the same time. And if you don't show up, you're ostracized or something like it's so it's a, it's more of a kind of it's it's a completely you're an adult. We trust you kind of environment. And that has its pros and cons. OK, so maybe a little bit more individualism allowed there um, compared yeah. to other sort of schools. Um, and how else do you think you mentioned the building? How else do you think? the MBA experience today has changed since your experience? Are students learning different things? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I would say that the number one difference in my mind is technology. Um, and yes, you know, I was in business school, you know, during that first sort of dot-com boom, but, you know, there were no smartphones um, and they were, the, you know, they're in the kind of nascent phases of existence. And, you know, there wasn't the same, um, there were just weren't the same ways to kind of share data. And, you know, I see all kinds of amazing things happening in these kind of wired classrooms. And that just was not a factor um, when I was in business school. Um, I would also say that, you know, the American schools have taken strides to be more global um, because they recognize that now the MBA has spread. You know, there are lots of great MBA programs in, um, in Europe and in Asia. And so I think um, they're trying to incorporate more let's say kind of international cases, you know, into their curricula. And yeah, that, so that, that's another thing is just the kind of globalization of the education. And the last thing I would say is that the kind of gender equity. I mean, when I was in business school, most of the top schools had about 30% women. Um, and now we're seeing top schools, you know, up above 40, um, in that domain. And so that, that makes for a difference. And, um, you know, there's, there are a bunch of hot topics that we see, um, getting added into, MBA curricula. So for example, big data, um, oh, you know, fintech, 
um, social responsibility and sustainability. So those are things that I think have been infused into most of the, um, you know, MBA programs out there. And, and those weren't there when I was, you know, when I was studying, they were just kind of really, if they were there at all, it was kind of very early days. So those are a few things that I see as being different today. Okay. And you, Graham, you've got your own podcast going on as well, the Clear Admits MBA Admissions podcast, some great content on there, very useful for business school applicants, MBA applicants. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What, why did you set it up? What, what's it all about? Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, we um, we just realized that, I mean, I personally love listening to podcasts. I'm a, kind of a busy guy and I, I try to like cram as much as I can, you know, even if I'm at the gym or, or grabbing a flight, like being able to listen to something um, is great, especially given how much time we spend staring at screens. I kind of welcome the the break. And so audio is a great um, means to kind of convey information. And I just thought it'd be a lot of fun to do a podcast. And we've been really fortunate. I mean, we've done you know, episodes with, uh, you know, Chad Losey, who's the admissions director at Harvard. And I just recorded one with Blair Mannix, who's the admissions director at, at Wharton. So we've had a lot of fun with the podcast and tried very hard to just provide strategy and advice to candidates as they kind of navigate the MBA admissions process. Because as you'll recall, like I, you know, I was non-traditional when I applied. I, I didn't have, I wasn't, I couldn't look to my right, look to my left at work and, 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 you know, find two other people applying to to business school. So that's really the goal to try to provide content that can help people navigate um, what is a rather challenging admissions process. And yeah, so and that that's really the goal of, you know, of what we do at Clear Admit in general, just trying to provide transparency, help people get through this process and and put good content out there, just like business because I mean, we really, we love your site too. And, and I thought it was great that we could do this, uh, you know, kind of record this and um, we're going to have you on our on our podcast too. And I'm excited about that. So yeah, we're just trying to provide great content for, for candidates. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. It's a, it's a real clear admit BB loving and, and we're all having fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, Graham. And, and thanks everyone to, for listening to this episode of the Business School Question. You can check out the text version of this interview and more information on how to get into Wharton on our website, Business Because. Whether you're considering an MBA, EMBA or Business Master's program, read more Business School news and get practical resources to help your Business School application on businessbecause.com. <laughs>